the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. Now, in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm both a master of the laws of taxation law and a master of the laws of intellectual property law. And now, because of my education, my training, my experiences, my observations, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance, as well as the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice some closely related areas of law, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference point, as they relate to personal, familial, and community, as well as small business finance, I have spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, independence, and autonomy of women, people of color, and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat, and as I share with you, I also helped create one with my former spouse, I know firsthand just how hard it can be economically for our citizen soldiers and their families that are sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic systems for them to really be able to deal with finances after they separate from the service. And as a result, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and from all branches of the military. And when the situation presents itself, I'm sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves, ourselves, the targets, and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse you could imagine that is running rampant in our society today. So I'm coming to you again today to discuss some of the financial and or legal issues confronting individuals, families, and of course, small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you 
as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help I believe you will need if you have a legal issue that intersects with your finances or your other assets or sometimes just your general constitutional rights in general. Now, to recap, for the last few weeks, I have shared with you one of my most pleasant but also most profound adventures that I've had as an adult. Uh, The fact that as a black professional working in fields of information technology and the law, fields that are mostly controlled by white men here in the United States, I was invited by a group of Japanese men to participate in a speaking tour of Japan 30 years ago last month. The pleasant part of my tour should be easily understood. I received an all-expense-paid trip to Japan where I was housed in some very nice hotels and got to eat some really great food and be in the company of really interesting people. And I was afforded the opportunity to share my thoughts about the need for global multiculturalism to some very smart people in this ethnically homogeneous society that, as far as I know now, is still the case in Japan. Uh, The sponsor of the trip also made sure to include some downtime in my itinerary that allowed me to take in the awesome physical beauty uh, and just barely scratch the surface of my understanding of the norms and traditions of this ancient culture that has been around since 35,000 BCE. However, the part of the trip that was most profound to me was that part of my itinerary that quite unexpectedly I came to know of a group of women of color who were Jinjai, just like me, that is to say foreigners, a group of ethnic Korean women living in Japan who, in their youth, were forced into sex slavery by the Japanese Imperial Army and the related services and who have spent the last 30 years attempting to vindicate their rights in various courts in Japan, Korea, and even here in the United States. Unfortunately, as I shared with you last week, due to the international legal doctrinal concept known as sovereign immunity, a concept based in the ancient rights of kings to be above the law in their own realm and therefore incapable of being sued in their own courts or any other sovereign for that matter without the king's consent. These women have not been able to vindicate their rights in the courts of Japan or in the United States or in Korea. And as I said, this year in Korea, their case was uh, dismissed as well. As such, as one of the few remaining survivors, 92-year-old Lee Young-soo has asked, not asked, but begged, that her country's government, the Korean government, applied to the International Court of Justice in The Hague, the foreign that is available to nation-states that are members of the United Nations, to open up a mediation as an individual or individuals have no standing to initiate actions in the world court. 
only nation states. And I've also suggested, did last week, that the Comfort Women, survivors, and their dependents investigate reopening the Bactavian Tribunal, which take, took place after World War II as part of the International Military Tribunal of the Far East that was set up by the Allied forces under the command of General Douglas Smith Arthur to deal with the crimes against humanity and other crimes that took place in the Pacific Theater during World War II. Now, according to scholar and Professor Sarah So in her 2001 paper, Japan's Responsibility Towards Comfort Women Survivors, among the approximately 50 military tribunals convened at various Asian locations between 1945 and 1951, only one tribunal conducted by the Dutch in Bartivia, which is now known as Jakarta, it was the only one that meted out any stern punishment, including the execution of one of the Japanese officers who forced Dutch Caucasian women into sexual servitude. That trial recognized for the first time a war crime known as forced prostitution. And as such, it is on the books as a war crime. And I believe that uh, that tribunal, because of its findings, might be a place where the comfort women could go to seek some regress. That might be a long shot, but at least it's a shot. So today I want to follow our discussion of war crimes against women and girls by noting that while not technically denominated as war crimes, there is a rise in state-authorized actions against the bodily, spiritual, and intellectual autonomy of women and girls on the world stage today, including the fact that in certain parts of the world, it is legal for a father to sell his own daughter as young as 18 months to men as hunger brides or as a way to generate income to feed the rest of the family. I'm not talking about The Hunger Games, that great series of movies that I am like stare at. I'm talking about something that's going on in real life. Hunger brides, little bitty girls sold off to put food on the table for the rest of the family. Now, if they ain't a crime, I don't know what is. And notwithstanding the laws on the books in countries that make our medical conditions absolutely private, states here in this country are passing laws that allow strangers to attempt to hijack our, our bodies for purposes without our consent and without due process afforded to women and girls under the Ninth and Fourteenth Amendments. As such, I also want to discuss how and why women need to take absolute control of our bodies, our persons, our very God-given humanity itself, in state and federal legislatures to make sure that laws are enacted to guarantee that no government, state, local, or national, anywhere on this planet can hijack our bodies and treat us like broodmares. And if they dare try to do so, that we have access to the state and federal courtrooms where we can vindicate not only our own rights, 
but those of our daughters and granddaughters, and has been germane to the topic I've been discussing for the last few weeks, vindicate the rights of our mothers, grandmothers, and great-grandmothers, whether they're alive today or they've passed on. So we're going to get into this topic that some of you are going to find um, quite uh, controversial, but I feel the need to discuss it with you. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. So please stay tuned. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of the State of Women and Girls 2021 edition. Now, before the break, I promised that we would discuss the rise in state-authorized actions against the bodily, spiritual, and intellectual autonomy of women and girls around the world today, including the fact that in certain parts of the world, it is legal for a father to sell their daughters as young as 18 months to men in order to put food on the table to feed the rest of the family. Now, I saw this heartbreaking video that was produced by um, Microsoft NBC about these two little, beautiful, seven- and eight-year-old girls in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, whose father had sold them. And I remember when I was seven and eight, six, seven and eight, all I had to do was run around and have a good time with my brother and my cousin Gerald, because we'd spend the summers with our grandparents down in Mississippi, just have fun ripping and running and, you know, the, the, the most troubling thing that I had to do was, you know, act like a, a, a girl on Sunday and put a dress on as opposed to running around in dungarees. But then to see these little girls being sold off like chattel, it's heartbreaking. That's on the one hand. And now, notwithstanding the laws and the books in countries such as ours here in America that make our medical conditions absolutely private, States are passing laws that allow strangers to attempt to hijack our bodies for state purposes without our consent and without our having us having access to due process that's afforded to everyone, including women and girls, as accord or in accord with the Ninth and Fourteenth Amendments of the United States Constitution. As such, I also am going to share with you the fact that women and girls need to take control of our bodies, our persons, our very God-given humanity itself in state and federal legislatures to make sure that laws are enacted to guarantee that no government, state, local, or national entity anywhere on this planet can hijack our bodies and treat us like broodmares. And if they dare to even try that we have access to the state and federal courts where we can vindicate not only our own rights, but those of our coming daughters and granddaughters, and also look back and attempt to vindicate the rights of our mothers, grandmothers, and great-grandmothers, whether they still be alive today or if they've passed on. Now, those of you who listen to this show know that I profess to be a Christian, and I am. I believe in God. 
and I follow the teachings of Jesus Christ as I understand them. And although I was raised in and still follow the tenets of the Anglican Communion, I readily admit that I'm not very religious in a practical sense. By that, I mean that I do not necessarily follow the strict dogma of my church. Now, please don't get me wrong. I follow the two most important rules of my church, and I love God with all of my heart. And I try to love my neighbor, even if that means I have to stay away from him, my neighbor, him or her, and pray for him or her from afar. Because i got to admit to you that I have a pretty ferocious temper, but it's mostly manifest in harsh words and not in deeds. Nonetheless, I try to control my temper. Now, coupled with my spiritual being, I live and work in a secular realm like you and I, all of us here on this planet. This is the case especially because I focus on technology and the law as they are manifest in this particular space and time here on this planet, in this universe. As such, I have to tell you that as both a Christian and a lawyer who has sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States, I'm amazed and disheartened that certain states feel it is their right to blow off our Constitution by implementing laws that violate a woman's right to privacy and bodily and spiritual art autonomy as articulated in our first, ninth, and 14th Amendments by implementing laws that force the religious views of a powerful minority on the less powerful majority, simply because they have the votes to get a bill passed through their state legislature. Now, my fear is that this unconstitutional use of raw power will cause our form of government great harm in the not-too-distant future and for years to come. Something that I, as a patriot, don't want to see. You know, I had to pray long and hard about broaching this subject on this show because I know it is such a controversial topic amongst people of faith and others. But I feel I must, and I will do so by sharing with you how China is using its state power to control women's bodies, minds, and spirits, the realm that I believe must be left to the judgment, good or bad, of each woman, her doctor, and most importantly, her individual relationship with God. Did you know that for many decades, Chinese authorities imposed strict limits on family sizes that forced millions of Chinese women to abort pregnancy that the state deemed illegal. Now, under its one-child policy, which was introduced way back in 1979, millions of Chinese women a year were forced to terminate what that government considered to be illegal pregnancies. The traditional preferences for sons also led in the rise of sex-selective abortions, with families often choosing to abort their daughters. This has contributed 
to a significantly skewed gender ratio in China, with the 2021 census revealing there are almost 35 million more men than women in a country of 1.4 billion. There are almost 35 million more men in that country because of what I consider to be China's foolish policy of not incorporating women into the decision because, you know, you generally need to keep a population balanced and you generally need to balance the number of men and women who are produced each year. However, since 19 since 2015, when China loosened its one-child policy, the state-mandated abortions relaxed somewhat. And now, because of its rapidly aging population and shrinking workforce that has more, many more men than women, the country is fearful that it will be able to produce enough replacement workers to man and woman its continued economic growth. As such, the Chinese government recently announced that now it wants women to have three children and they want to restrict uh, abortions for non-medical reasons. And as reported by CNN, the backlash on this new China policy towards women and their bodies, the backlash was swift and furious. Chinese social media was flooded with comments from women fed up with what they see as the government's efforts to control their bodies, describing the apparent U-turn on abortion as a desperate attempt to boast the country's dwindling birth rate. The female body has become a tool, said one top commenter. Uh, when the state wants you to bear a child, you must do so at all costs. When the state doesn't want it, you're not allowed to give birth even if you risk your own death. The fact it was mentioned at all in a sweeping 10-year plan is disconcerting and could be part of the government's campaign to increase the birth weight in the face of the growing demographic crisis. This according to Lita Hong Fincher, the author of Betraying Big Brother, The Feminist Awakening in China. So, I share this with you in the hopes that you will take it in the spirit in which it was presented. That is to say, whether I believe an abortion is right or wrong is not the proper question. As stated above, I believe it is a question for the woman involved, her doctor, and her God, and not the state of Texas, Mississippi, or any other government, including China. So we're going to leave it there for now, but always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including laws that protect the penumbra of our individual rights, including those of our own personal liberty, privacy, and bodily spiritual and intellectual autonomy interests, as well as our own due process rights under the Ninth Amendment and under the Fourteenth Amendment, and not have them outweighed or imposed by the majority under the 10th Amendment. But in the meantime, please get vaccinated and boosted the way I did earlier this week. 
because unlike a privacy matter related to our individual right to choose, spreading a deadly virus is a public health matter. So we're going to leave it there for now, but as always in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, including laws that protect the penumbra of our individual rights, including those of our own personal liberty, privacy, and bodily, spiritual, and intellectual autonomy interests, as well as our due process rights as implied in the Ninth Amendment and more precisely articulated in the Fourteenth Amendment than those designed by the minority interests of those in power in a state and used to impose their will upon the majority under the umbrella of the Tenth Amendment. But in the meantime, please get vaccinated and boosted the way I did earlier this week because unlike a privacy-related matter as to an individual's right to choose, spreading a deadly virus is a public health matter. So, please, wash your hands, keep your social distance, and mask up. Till next time. Take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.